Welcome everyone to our Bible study and once again we are discussing and learning about the last days, the end of time. Uh, we're looking into prophecy, we're looking at our day in which we live. Now there are some subtle parts of prophecy. It might seem strange that any prophecy could be subtle, but there are some subtle parts of prophecy that I want to call out tonight. I wonder what is it that would make someone stumble, especially when you know that the Lord is coming back? What is it that makes people lose heart, lose faith? Jesus said that in the last days, the love of many would wax cold. People would become indifferent. And even though the signs of the time are all around us, there are people, maybe once believers, that will turn their back on the Lord and they will reject the signs of the time. And also, what is it about these last days that we um, we feel and, and uh, people take notice of? What is it about the last days? Now, there are some big ticket items, some big ticket themes that many people draft toward. They, 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 they're drawn to. Um, but I'd like to consider the more subtle parts of prophecy that are all around us today. We'll discuss a little bit of those big ticket themes. So let's just do a little review because history is the great teacher. Among them all, history is the greatest teacher. There, there are about 6,000 years of written human history. I want to go back over this again, but I think we can do this succinctly there are three segments of time if we are looking through the scripture and in the written human history there are three segments of time the first segment begins in genesis 1 and it and it goes through about 11 chapters to the patriarch abraham from adam to abraham is the first segment it consists of roughly 2000 years the second segment Likewise, about 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus Christ. And then the third segment of time is from Jesus Christ, the birth of the, the early church, the, the church of Jesus Christ, to what we could consider the modern day church or where we are right now in history. So those are the three segments of time, 6,000 years. Um, each of those segments, the first two especially, ended in in what we know as as uh, destruction. So creation is the first segment. It's from Genesis and it ends in disobedience with Noah and a flood. And then Noah uh, represents a rebirth of all life. Uh, from his family comes all the lineages of the world. But then that also ends in disobedience. There, there is 400, there, there are 400 years of silence in between the book of Malachi and the introduction of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God did not speak. Jesus Christ became the consolation of Israel and he is the hope of Israel and the hope of mankind. So, the last days began 
with the birth of the church until now. So the last 2,000 years have really been the last days or the end of time. But after the 2,000 years, we know that the day is almost over. The number of six is the number of man. So 6,000 years is the number of man. It's coming to a close rapidly. We are living in the very last days of time. Now, I don't know what would make you stumble. I'm not sure. We all have our, um, our temptations. We all have our fault lines. We all have something that we struggle with. That is part and parcel of the human experience. But what if I told you that you had 12 months left to live on this earth? Or let's reduce that. What if, what if there was only 30 days left for you to live? What would you do different? What kind of life would you live if we all knew for certain there's 12 more months of your life or six months or three months? What would you do differently than you're doing right now? If you knew that one month from now you were going to die, uh, you were not going to live past the next 30 days, that was it. Would you change anything about yourself? Would you change anything about what you're saying, would your days be different? If you knew you had a few months to live, would, would, you, would you change the order of your mornings and your evenings? Um, I'm wondering what kind of arrangements would be made. Perhaps you would make arrangements for a funeral. Maybe you would make sure that you picked out songs, a poem, a you, you talked to people that you hadn't talked to for a long time. Maybe you settled old grievances or maybe, maybe you, uh, would, would, um, would visit some people that you hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, maybe you would write letters to all of your family members telling them how much they mean to you in your life and, and all the things that would accompany the preparation for that day. How would you live if you knew that you had an expiration date and you knew the date. Would you live the same way that you're living right now? Would you do something different? I, I'm urging you as I teach this to look introspectively. Look into your heart and to your life. Look into what you say, what you do, how you think, where you go, how you spend your time. Because what I'm saying right now, what I'm teaching in this Bible study, it matters more than, than anything in this world. It's very important that you know this. In fact, the Lord showed me this years ago. I'm, I want to repeat this story. The wealth of the world, the Lord showed me, is in my mouth. The wealth of the world. Not because I'm good or not because of some natural ability, but because he's called me to teach and preach the gospel, the word of God. And the story is that many, many years ago, there was a lady in our church. I loved her so much. She passed away. Her name was Barb. And um, um, she always told me that was her favorite pastor. And um, if I had a son, this I would be the one that she would want and, and all kinds of stuff. And um, her and her husband had an ice cream parlor and a fish, uh, shop. They, they, they sold fish sandwiches and an ice cream. It was just a, a play thing for them. Her husband was a very wealthy, wealthy man. They did not need a restaurant. 
it was just a place for him to hang out. And I think she did a lot of the work. God bless her heart. So, um, he had bought her a really expensive diamond check. In fact, she had a couple of big diamonds. One was like a four carat, $40,000, $50,000 diamond, something like that. I'm, I'm not sure the exact cost or price of it, but, um, she came to church one night on a Bible study night and she was looking around the foyer. The big, that big diamond fell out of her, her ring, her set. And she just came in and went to the, went to Bible study and, and I had found out that she had lost that. Oh, I, I searched all over the church and even the next morning I went and searched all over the parking lot and I didn't find it. I went to her, her, her ice cream shop and, uh, sat down and talked to her and, you know, told her I'd search for the diamond everywhere. And, um, she said, Oh, it's okay. I, I, the Bible study was, was wonderful. She said, and I'd, I'd rather hear the Bible study than, than look for that, that diamond. Um, you know, I just, you know, what do you do? You just, you just go on with life. Now, there was a standard procedure in the, in the ice cream shop that I could get whatever I wanted. I could, I could help myself. I could, I could make whatever ice cream I wanted. It was Wright's ice cream. And the fat content was really high. If, if, if it, if it's real bad for you, then it's really good. Um, and that's, that's how we judged the ice cream. And so she said, Pastor, you love Rocky Road. Go get your Rocky Road cone. Make your own cone. And uh, so I thought that sounded good. And a, some customers came in. So she got up from her seat talking with me. And she served them. They got Rocky Road. So I thought, well, I think I'll get some too. So when she got done serving them and all the scooped, I went over and got my own scoops. And I got two scoops. And since my wife wasn't around, I got three scoops, I think. I don't know. And... um I went back to my seat and I, and I, and I took a big bite of that ice cream and man, there was a big nut. I thought that was a big nut in, in my mouth. And, and I realized that's very, very hard. And I took it out and it was chocolate all over my hand. It was that big diamond, that huge diamond. I went over, I washed it off. I went over to her. We've been talking for a long time. I hugged her. She thought that's really weird. What do you want, Pastor? And I said, well, I want you to know I found your diamond. It just so happened that the night before she had scooped out some ice cream, that diamond fell into the rocky road and she couldn't find it. She thought she lost it at the church and she lost it in that big barrel of, of rocky road ice cream. And I found it. It was in my mouth. So the Lord spoke to me. The wealth of the world is in my mouth. I knew from that moment there was something different that God had called me to do. And to be truthful and to be honest with the word. To know the days in which we live. Like the sons of Issachar. I want to know. I want to have the awareness of it. I want to live like the Lord is coming back today. I will prepare as if he's coming back in a hundred years. But I'm living like he's coming back today. And I urge all of you as we go through these times. Change the order of your life change the order of your home of your mornings of your evenings set aside time to be with God in the word and set your affections on things above and not on the things on the earth the great issue with many of our American churches that is that we are very lax um, we are we're probably suffering from plenty too much. 
Uh, we are relaxed and we're comfortable. And when we're not comfortable, we think that uh, those moments constitute as tribulation. And we have taken great strides and, 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 and really worked on being comfortable. Air conditioning, padded seats, um, fine transportation, uh, all the things that we, that we love and take for granted now. And, but that's not really a good thing. That's not really something we should be patting ourselves on the back for. Because that could be our undoing. Having everything easy and comfortable could be our downfall. That could be where we really lose faith. We probably should be embarrassed to own a lazy boy. A lazy boy? Let me just ask you. Ladies, do you want to marry a lazy boy? Do you want your daughters to marry a lazy boy? Should we really be proud of a lazy boy? But we spend money on lazy boys and talk about lazy boys. There may be lazy girls too, but I say this is part of our culture that we find convenience in it. Uh, we're not ashamed or embarrassed. In fact, America is proud of her good time weekends and her party lifestyles. And the church, likewise, has built those same attributes into its own culture. The weekend, we're living for the weekend. But maybe this is to our detriment. I will say, all of these pleasantries and comfortable assets and material things of life, they will end also. Just as disobedience ended with the flood and just as God removed himself from men, it ended in Malachi. There will come an end. The last days are few in number and they are closing in on us. And we need to pay attention. Now there are some big ticket prophetic things and themes I spoke about. Um, and we need to be careful when we consider them. Everyone knows them. I'll, I'll call them out. And we need to be careful in these moments not to latch on to everyone who calls themselves a prophecy teacher or gives you a date as as to when the Lord's coming back. Uh, be very, very careful. He can come back today or tomorrow or in a year from now or five years from now. I do not know when. But be very cautious to adhere to people, men or women, who gives you the time or even the month. I've heard many things being said. In fact, when I was younger in the early 80s, I can remember uh, there was a there was a movement um, that it, it didn't find much traction, but not only was the book written 88 Reasons Why the Lord Was Going to Come Back in 88, but some people even thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. And and of course, why would Ronald Reagan be the Antichrist? I do not know, but but some person dreamed up this thought and they looked at Ronald Reagan's name and his name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. There are six letters in each of his names, 666, so he had to be the Antichrist, of course. That was not true. But this was uh, in the thinking. Here, here was the thinking. So be very careful before you latch on to people who are pronouncing something. But at the same time, you ought to be very aware that you're living in a day that has never, ever been in the history of the world. Now, 
We've never seen a day when everything was shut down. The last time everything was really shut down, there was 40 days of rain, 40 nights of rain, and the earth coughed up all of its wells and springs, and the whole world was flooded. It did shut down then. But we've never seen this before. And so you are, you are living in the middle of one of the greatest worldwide events that has clear representations in the scripture. A virus, earthquakes, there are famines, there are locusts. Look at it in Africa. These things are happening now all the time. So I also want you to stop thinking in terms of a single year. Think of the 6,000 years of history. What's happened in the last 100 years or 120 years? Can you imagine? That's in our time. In fact, it's such a small fraction, a small percentage of, of world history. All of these things are happening in our time. They, they give us indication that the Lord is going to return. World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, we, we put a man on the moon, atomic energy, nuclear energy, nuclear nuclear armament the breakup of the soviet union the creation and of the european union it's incredible the korean war the vietnam war the occupation of the middle east in in this just the last less than a hundred years israel became a nation the dead sea scrolls were found there was a six-day war jerusalem has been recognized by the united states this administration as the capital of israel and our embassy now is there it's incredible what's happening these are major things and we must not lose them because they just happen maybe even before we were born or maybe in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Some of them happened in the last 10 years. But I'll call out some of the, some of the big tickets that people talk about in prophecy. They talk about the mark of the beast. We should know about that. That is a mark that, that everyone will have to have in order to buy or to sell any products or goods. The Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars. We've seen those. They have happened. In the last 100 years. People talk about the battle of Armageddon. I've been on Mount Megiddo. I've looked over that massive Jezreel Valley. As it turns kind of dog legs left. As it turns there. uh, This massive valley. Gorgeous valley where the final battle will be won. Where a 200 million man army will rise from the Euphrates River. We could talk about that. We can talk about the Antichrist. He is known as the son of perdition or the beast. Uh, but you ought to know that even though these things are important, there are other things that are subtle that, that don't garnish the same attention. I want to call them out tonight. The subtle. In the subtle theme, there exist uh, several major indicators Uh, Let's put them down tonight. Here's a few indicators that lead us to the subtle prophetic themes. Now, I won't exhaust them, but, but I'll offer three. Mass consciousness. Mass consciousness. The second one will, I will, I will term tipping points. Tipping points. And the third, the spirit of the age. We'll call it even the spirit of humanity because we don't want to, we don't want to cross the line of, 
demonic spirits. So let's be the spirit of man, the spirit of women, the spirit of humanity. So mass consciousness, tipping points, and the spirit of humanity. Let's talk a little bit about mass consciousness. Um, this could be uh, thought of or termed as collective thinking. Um, it occurs when people um, are minimized if they don't hold to an accepted definition or thought or concept of the collective. So that's mob rule or majority rule. It's mass consciousness. It's when it's when most people of the world think one way, and so it's like a big flood. It just it it, it and it's sweeping through an area. It just picks up everything in its path. There's very little resistance, and it's hard to resist mass consciousness. Every oppressing empire, from the Assyrians all the way to the Greeks, operated with mass consciousness. They they just wiped out other thoughts. They wiped out um, other ideas or philosophies. Um, they would burn um, centers of learning from those uh, in those countries that they that they conquered. The second part of this. This, the second indicator of this uh, subtle theme is is what we'll call tipping points. And once again, you know, there's the tipping point. Uh, if you if you're looking at the tipping point, it's basically um, when something finally falls over. Just that one side is a little heavier than the other side. It's not. It, it's uh, it's very subtle, but it, it's a tipping point. If you look at it in terms of economics, that occurs when the majority of people. Uh, derive uh, monies from the slight uh, mi minority of people. So in government, uh, the tipping point comes as the majority uh, that do not give or pay taxes or do not have sufficient funds to do that. They will then make demands on those who do to give them more. And so that tipping point will come when people who don't have elect representatives that take from that slight minority, maybe 51% to 49%. The tipping point, of course, has occurred for hundreds and hundreds of years, many, many years, centuries, in fact, maybe thousands of years we've seen this. And I'll give you a short summary. When a country becomes economically depressed, war becomes the remedy to get them out of their uh, economic um, uh, uh, struggle, maybe we should say, that a resurgence um, and national pride and purpose becomes um, in full view through war. And and it's been stated many times that that war and battle, it will quote-unquote fix things. The tipping point is when a nation cannot recover on their own. They can't, they don't have enough resources to recover on their own. And when they become depleted and all they have is military weapons or people that will fight, um, the, the battle, the war then becomes the remedy. Read your history. Uh, the League of Nations addressed this many, many years ago and, and because they, they thought that World War I was the war to end all wars. But obviously it was not, and it did not. So you have mass consciousness, and you have this. then you have this tipping point. Both of them are in full display today. And now, finally, we get to these very subtle things. We're, we're going we're gonna to put the big heading as the spirit 
of humanity. Take notice now. Right before Noah stepped onto the scene, the world had sunk into moral decay. God saw the conditions, flagrant living and immorality and and all of those things that, that attended to the days of Noah before the flood also attended to the days of Jesus uh, before the church began, uh, before the days that Rome uh, had 365 days of or every day of games. Sexual immorality was very high. The world was steeped in debauchery. But God had a response. In fact, he responded in the days of Noah. And I'll quote this from Genesis 6 and 3. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Genesis 6 and 3. For that he is also flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The answer for all of that debauchery and decay is a limitation of life. And it was followed up with the worldwide flood. So Noah's day was filled with the same things that we see today. In fact, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. And here we are, we have the same thing um, that occurred in the days of Noah. We have those same attributes, those same things that are happening in our day. But we miss them sometimes because some of those things are not large, big theme prophecies. They're subtle. And because they are subtle um, and they're with us, we become desensitized to them. Uh, it's like a conditioning, you know, people who live in the polar regions, um, their blood is thicker. People live in the tropics, their blood is thin. Why is that? Because the human body has adapted to its environment. So too the human spirit adapts to its environment. I hope you're paying attention to this right now. Don't, don't get lost in this narrative because these are subtle things that are afflicting us, the church, and of course the world. And they're happening in the day. Paul called these the last days. We're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to find these perilous times pertaining to the last days. Now, there have been other perilous times. But these particular perilous times attend to the last days. Here is the King James Version, 2 Timothy 3 and 1. I'll read it. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, uh, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3, without natural affection, hmm. truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Verse 5. Some of these will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. Uh-oh. Who could they be? From such, here's the Bible, turn away. For of this sort, they which creep into houses, they, for, for this sort, are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laid with sins, led away with divers or different kind of lust, ever learning. Uh-oh. Here's another indicator of some other people we're talking about. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's the example that Paul gives to Timothy. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. These were men in the body, or people in the children of Israel, within the company of the children of Israel. And Paul is saying in the last days there will be people like this, in the body, in the company, 
They resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. So now we have clear indications. These aren't just people in the world, but there's both people that were in the church and they've left the faith and the people in the world that knew nothing of the faith. But they shall proceed no further. Their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Let's read from the New Living Translation. Here's the New Living Translation, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I'll read through it and then we'll go back. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. People will be brutal, Paul said, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. What's that last sentence? Have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into home, into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are laden down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these people, these men oppose truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far because in the case of these, of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So I want to go through these things. Here's the breakdown. Let's just walk through it together. Second Timothy 3, 1. But mark this. There will be perilous, terrible times in the last days. What are those terrible times? They're subtle. They're things that we see all the time. We're not talking about plagues. We're not, we're not talking about the mark of the beast. We're not talking about a world war a nuclear bomb exploding. These are things we're living with right now. These are things that mark the last days, perilous times. What are they? Here, let's go through them. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of themselves. I'm going to call this the selfie generation. We've never seen more people in love with themselves than we do today. Narcissism is at an all-time high. Everyone has a phone, a selfie stick, and can take pictures of themselves. There are, there are apps on your phone to, to help you with weight loss. You can look like somebody else. You can, you can do all, you can trim yourself up. Not in real life. You can then put it on your Instagram and you can live out your, you know, there are people that live out their lives on Instagram. It's not their real life, but it's their Instagram life. Lovers of themselves. Of course, I, you know, I, I find some humor in this, but really, what a tragic thing. Reality is missing from our generation. People have lost touch with who they are. I would even, I would even tell you, maybe one of the greatest gifts you could ever have is self-perception. Truth about yourself. Let's look at the ne- next thing. Disobedient to parents. It's a spoiled generation. I know what happened. I've read the books. The greatest generation, men and women who came back from World War II, they did not want their children to suffer. So they gave their children everything that they didn't have. And they created a generation of spoiled children that then grew up 
and thought everyone deserved everything. You know, there was a day when we used to put, uh, we, we, we didn't have credit. America didn't have credit cards. They, they had to, whatever you bought, you had to buy outright. You didn't take out loans. But today, it's, it's the American way, the right to have everything now. And we've created a spoiled generation. They know the price of everything. They know the value of nothing. Let's keep going. Ungrateful. Think of that word. Unthankful. Ungrateful. Can you believe that is the subtle sign of the last day, the end of times? Ungrateful. Unthankful. We're not, we're not talking about Euphrates River. We're not talking about the Battle of Armageddon. We're talking about unthankful and ungrateful people. It is a sign of the times. It's all around us. And unholy. Uh, we've seen religious people dumb down worship and sacrifice. They've, they've diluted holiness. They've diluted godliness. I call it the blurring of the distinctives. God called us out, but there's a movement among Christianity not to be called out, but to blend in. We want to be accepted. We want society to accept us. We want our, all of our neighbors to accept us. Even in the Pentecostal church, there's been a great push to be accepted by other denominations so that now there's a whole group of people instead of baptizing exclusively in the name of Jesus, they're going back and saying, well, we'll baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus. We'll add it all together so no one's offended. The problem with that is no one was ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the Bible. But what we've done is we wanted to dilute ourselves to blend in, not to be set apart. This is a sign of the times, perilous times. It's a minimization of holy things so that nothing is really holy. Holy means to be set apart. How can you be holy if you're not set apart? I'll answer it. You cannot. You are not a holy people if you are not set apart. Hmm. I don't know how this is working where you're watching. I don't know if you're receiving this or maybe you just would turn away and say, well, let's move on to the next part. But just know these are the signs of the times. Verse 2 is the tale of the turn of the American church and the American culture, the westernized culture. Here's verse 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 3. This time, this perilous times that mark the, the last days, people will be without love. What's, what, is, what do you call it? It's called hate. Hate is so, it's all around us. It's so prevalent, hate. Unforgiving. I've never met in my life, probably the last five, ten years, I've met more people who profess Christ that hold more grudges and are more unforgiving than ever before. Unforgiveness. Slanderous. Say whatever you want. Slander anyone you want. This is happening right now. This is perilous times. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul wrote about without natural affection. What would that mean? Natural affection, ladies and gentlemen, natural affection is the affection of one distinct gender toward another distinct gender. The last days, people will be without natural affection. Natural affection is a man interested in a woman, a woman interested in a man. 
you're living in the last days. You're living when mass consciousness is moving everyone to say, well, there are no genders and natural affection is whatever comes natural to you. We'll call that subjectivism. This is the last days. They'll have a form of godliness, verse 5. But they'll deny the power thereof. Have nothing to do with them. Read James chapter 4, verse 4. I'll read from the NIV. Excuse me, read James 4, 4. Ye adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live us in, in intensely. Let me just tell, tell you, it, this idea that we can blend in and that everything will be okay, that sign of the times. No one, I tell you tonight, no one can, can disrupt us like we ourselves. And in fact, there are people in churches that ruin churches and hurt ministries and they devalue the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would even go as far as to say that no one can destroy the church body like those who claim to be Christians. And I warn you of these things because they're subtle. They're not these massive prophecies. They're subtle. They rejected the truth. They're learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or they become apostate, or they reject the gospel that was first delivered. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. What is the doctrine? The gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, holiness, the Godhead, the fruit of the Spirit, submission, love, joy, all of that. They turn away and avoid them. Verse 6, verse 17 says, verse, verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. These are subtle things. All of them mark the end of time. So the last part of that scripture, it says, avoid them, have nothing to do with them. Be very careful. Subtle. I wonder, why are all these things tolerated Think of all these things. Why are they tolerated? Lovers of money and lovers of, of themselves and unnatural affection, disobedience and unthankful and unholy. Why are all these things tolerated among us? Why would they be tolerated? Is it because we think of them as minor offenses? We don't consider them as major problems. Or maybe we've grown accustomed, desensitized. But this is a prophetic word. Second Timothy chapter three is a prophetic word. Perilous times marking the last days. In the last days, there'll be perilous times. And then Paul gives us this phenomenal list. It's not in attendance with the imagery of Daniel. We're not seeing horns and animals and, and, and angels and vials. We're talking about the things that are prevalent in our society today, in American society today, that are greater than any other time in our history. Why are they tolerated? Maybe because sometimes we find them in our friends and on our family. 
whether in our friends and our family, we shrug our shoulders and say, well, what can we do? Maybe because we've accustomed, we've grown accustomed to this kind of thing. It's just, we're, we're no longer surprised. Mr. Bennett wrote the book, The Death of Outrage. There's no more outrage left. Here's Ephesians chapter 5 verse 12. For it is a shame or shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. That's not what we're doing today. In fact, what everyone does in, in secret, it's broadcast. It's called reality TV. We are in the age of reality TV where things are discussed that should never be discussed. Things are discussed that should be hidden. But no one's outraged anymore. The church is not outraged anymore. The church that claims to be holy, part of the body of Jesus Christ, finds pleasure in the things that should not be mentioned. Oh, my. Are we looking for prophecy? Are you looking for the end of time? Are you looking? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a chip to be implanted in someone's head or, or, or hand? Is that what you're looking for? What, what are you looking for? You're looking for a massive uh, uh, earthquake that would rip, maybe a fault line, maybe a fault, uh, Andrea's fault. Maybe something just breaks apart. What are we looking for in prophecy? They're right here in the Bible. We're living in it, and we cannot afford to become desensitized or become accustomed to it. Here, maybe, maybe there's a third reason why we might tolerate it. Maybe we think that they're irrelevant. We've marginalized it. We've marginalized sinful activity because we're busy doing other things. We got a job. We got things to do. We don't have time to study the scripture. We don't have time to be concerned about that. In fact, we love pleasure. Uh oh. What if we love pleasure more than lovers of God? We're wrapped up in sports. Do you know that God shut down the gods of sports? Our God is greater than the gods of baseball, the gods of basketball, the gods of football, the gods of golf, the gods of NASCAR, all the gods combined. Our God is greater than those gods. He shut them down. Lovers of pleasures. We love pleasures. This is marking the end time. We, be, we should be very careful because we're busy doing something. Also, perhaps we marginalize this because by comparison, we would say, well, you know, we're not into all of that. We're, we're, we're not living a bad life. We're living a good life. So now we compare ourselves by other wicked people and, and thus we've deemed ourselves good or better. Not holy, not set apart, but better than most. Be very careful that you, that you not do that. And finally, once again, it's subjective. Well, now we'll have a generation of people who think, well, the Bible is subjective and, and, and you have to live to the Lord and not rules of mankind. No, you don't follow the rules of men as if the Bible doesn't have a way to live. I will agree with you. I'm not going to follow the rules of man, but I'm going to follow the rules of this book and I better find out what's in the book because this book has a law. The flesh has to be constrained. You cannot live a sinful life and deem it subjective, and still go to heaven. Let me give you a couple of answers, especially when it comes to friends and the family, and and the tolerating of all of that uh, that we know is sinful. You have to have boundaries. There has to be boundaries around your life. I'll ask you, what are your convictions? Do people know your convictions? 
See, convictions are something, your personal convictions are something that cannot be changed, you will not waver, and you will not tolerate someone trampling on your convictions. Even if it's friends or family, the way that you handle friends and family is love them and set up boundaries, things that you will and will not ever do or be engaged in, conversations that you will not have, things you will not say, places you will not go, and you set up boundaries. Otherwise, you tolerate things that you disagree with until it becomes normal and accepted. And when it becomes accepted, it turns into approval. The other way that you, that you can escape is to live a pure life. I, I love the, 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 the story of, of Daniel and of the Hebrew young men. There were three things that were pressed on them. They could have pleasure. They could have promotion or they could have purity. They couldn't have all three. They chose purity. They could have all the pleasures they wanted. They could have all the promotions they wanted, but they couldn't remain pure. So they had an opportunity to be pure and they stayed pure. They wouldn't defile themselves with a portion of the king's meat and they wouldn't bow down. Those are opportunities. There are precious opportunities. And Opportunities to stand up for what you believe in is a precious thing. They're wonderful things. And finally, there's the higher law. You live according to this scripture. You study this book. You find out what the Bible says. Instead of adding all these things to your life that just weigh you down, make you miserable, destroy your conscience, things you have to justify yourself for. Or justify yourself toward other people. And I've heard this many times. I want to urge you, don't make an excuse why you're not living for God. Don't say what you don't have to do. Say, I want to do everything that I can do. And I'll end with this scripture here tonight. It comes from Second Peter chapter 1. I love this verse. I try to work on this verse in my life. It's, it's a verse that gives instructions. And these words are words that take time. They'll take a lifetime to accomplish. Second Peter 1 and 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love or charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, say it with me, they make you, they form you, they do something in you. If they're in you and if they're allowed to grow, they, they conform you that you'll not be barren, you'll not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If they're in you, if they're not in you, verse 9, he that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see afar off. He doesn't know what's coming. And then has also forgotten where he came from. He forgot that he was purged from his old sins. You see, if these things aren't in you, you can't look forward and you can't look backward. You're always living for the moment. Think about, think about that. 
If these things aren't in you, you don't know the signs of the times. You're not aware. You're not sober. You don't know what happened yesterday. You've blocked all that out. You can't remember where you came from. You don't even remember that you were a sinner. Because you're living for the moment. It's called self and instant gratification. Self-gratification and instant gratification. Always for the moment. That's a dangerous way to live. But if they're in you, they make you, they grow in you. You'll never be barren. You'll never be unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, verses 5 through 8, if you do these things, ye shall never fall. I'm working on that because I want those last four words to be in my life. I don't ever want to fall. How do I stand? How do I stand in the wicked day? How do I stand in the evil day? How do I stand against temptation? How do I stand against the day that I'm living in? I've got to add to my faith. I'm adding to my faith. You believe? Great. I'm glad you believe. Now add to it. Add to it. Don't despise it. Add to it. Don't turn away. Put something else in your life. Here they are, right here. All the attributes that will make you fruitful, multiplying. Give diligence. If you have it, they'll make you. You'll never fall. I'm ending tonight, and I want to pray with you. I want to pray that the Lord would would help you with this word that I've taught. These subtle things should not be subtle. They're not glamorous. You can't draw them in pictures. And I love all the pictures and I love all the other prophecy. I want to go over eschatology. But I want to make sure that I don't bypass these these perilous times, the attributes of these perilous times. I don't want to bypass them. I want to recognize them. I want to change my life, conform myself, constrain myself to the cause of Jesus Christ and to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone who has heard this word. Lord, we fight many things, but in America, we don't always fight demonic oppression. We don't fight the same demons that other nations have have been fighting for a long time. We we fight pleasure. We fight plenty. We fight the lack of sacrifice. I pray right now, Lord, that you'd help us. Help us to see what our needs are so that we can make our calling election sure. I pray tonight, Lord, let everybody that hears these words rediscover the end of time, the last days, and the attributes that will attend and that are here. Help them to rediscover it and help us, Lord, to set up boundaries and live holy and righteous and seek your word, Lord. Help us to live, Lord, like you're coming back today. Help us to be prepared, I pray. And once again, as I have said so many times in the last two months, help us not to squander the benefit of these days. And I pray these prayers. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen.